Hi, this is Alina and Megan, and you're listening to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast, where we dive into all things health, wellness, and fitness. We are two certified athletic trainers, personal trainers, and nutrition coaches who met and graduated together from the University of Arkansas. And we want to do this podcast to spread our joy about treating our bodies well through nutrition, exercise, and knowledge. Today on Move Your Brain, Move Your Body, we have Dr. Locatelli Rao, who goes by Dr. Loke. Dr. Loke graduated from USC's prestigious Doctor of Physical Therapy program at a very young age of 24 years old, and he has been a practicing physical therapist ever since. Dr. Loke's life and career paths have led him to have his own private practice, which is very special private practice in that his approach is extremely integrative and he uses many different brilliant systems in unison. We are so excited to bring you this episode as we did a few case studies and we talked very in depth on specific cases that Dr. Loke has been working on. So this episode was a little different for us and we absolutely loved having Dr. Loke on our podcast. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. So welcome to Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Today on the show, we have Dr. Loke, and we're so excited to have you on today. How are you doing? And we want to hear a little bit about yourself. So, Great. I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. I've already had an awesome morning. And a little bit about myself. I mean, I've been a PT for 18 years now. I went straight into the profession. So I did high school, right into college right into PT school, right into becoming a working professional. So I've been a PT since 02, since I was 24. I graduated from PT school at 24, just a kid. Wow. Baby. And now here I am, 18 years into it and, and loving what I do. And mixing DNS, PRI, FRC, and, and just a wealth of knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Your Instagram is amazing. We wanted to talk a little bit about how you do your assessments, your Instagram, just we're going to dive really deep into it. Yeah, no problem. So my assessments now, I've always wanted to do my assessments. I've always had the mindset that like you should be as efficient as possible with respect to getting as much information as you can from the patient, regardless of the position they're in, so that you minimize the amount of times you ask them to move around. And so over the last 15 years, that has looked a lot different where like it used to be a standing assessment, then they walk, then they get on the table, they sit on the edge of the table, I take them into a Thomas test, slide them back, so on and so forth. And so, you know, I still try to do that with respect to minimizing the amount the patient has to move, but also, you know, when they're on their back, get every single test that I want to get done on their back, get them on their side, get every single test that I want to get done on their side, on their stomach, and so on and so forth. So to be completely honest, you know, when a person first comes sees me, I'm super biased and heavy into getting a real good history. So typically, depending on obviously how complex the case is or what, how, how involved their history is, I mean, typically we're looking at 30 minutes of the first session minimum of just getting to know and really see, if you will, who I'm working with. And because of that, my actual assessments, you know, I can get a general idea of 
already what I'm kind of thinking based on what I heard from them. Standing, walking, we'll transition real quick to a single leg balance test. Well, then if I think there's a vision component, there's a couple of PRI vision tests that are done in standing. So we just knock those out right off the bat, get them on the table, supine, side-lying, prone, side-lying. Then if I really have a suspicion that they're you know, that IAP is an issue. I'll do a seated DNS IAP assessment. And then basically a majority of my table tests are going to be primarily through a PRI lens, but depending on what their issues are, I will throw some components of the FRA. And then I'll actually just do good old manual therapy type assessments. That's great. Yeah. So I was just thinking about this earlier because I was actually listening to a podcast on breathing and I've never taken a PRI course, but I've learned like some of it just because of, you know, the people that I surround myself with are pretty interested in PRI, like Alina, for example. But I was just thinking like, so obviously nasal breathing is, is ideal and it's actually pretty uncommon even at rest. Like people are like breathing out of their nose or through their mouth for whatever reason. And then I was thinking about like all the compensatory ways that people breathe and how people's diaphragms really aren't strong or aren't performing properly. And other than, you know, like chemically that nasal breathing is better and it just has a better way of warming your, the air that's coming in. Is there also like a resistance for the diaphragm component to breathing through your nose just because the hole is smaller? This was literally just a random question I was thinking about earlier and I was like, oh, I bet Dr. Loke would know. I really wouldn't think of the actual size of the passage as being the issue, but rather when you're breathing through your nostril versus through your mouth, systematically what your body has to do to take in that air. But, you know, really this is, this is obviously a big PRI take. The actual sense, right, the actual sensation of getting air through that nasal passage is something big that we want to obviously take advantage of. But... I don't know if this is an official stance on their part, but you know, mouth breathing is extension and extension is mouth breathing. And both of those are then considered synonymous with, you know, a sympathetic state. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that's very interesting. I actually just read the book Breath by James Nelson. Have you read that yet? I'm almost done through it. I got through his podcast on Rogan and that was great. Oh, I didn't even know. That's good to know that there is one. We'll link everything in the show notes too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm almost done through it. And it's a fantastic read. It is. For me, it was really quick because I just found it very interesting. But continue on with the topic of breathing. You mesh FRC, PRI, and DNS. And we can give our listeners a little bit of what each one of those is or your view of what each of those modalities are. But I'm really interested in how do you mesh them? How do you mesh them so well? Because I can see on your Instagram, you mesh them very well. So... Yeah, so really, I'm going to try to do each one of those approaches, their appropriate justice in describing them. But let's go ahead and just start with, with FRS. So functional range systems, their viewpoint is that in the sum of the parts, there are only the parts, which is why they're very specific about making each of the parts, i.e. the joints, uh, work as well as they individually can. And in the process of training the joints, Really, the target structure in FRS is the joint capsule because the joint capsules have all the mechanoreceptors that you want for your brain to then reference for movement purposes. 
And so really they touch on breath a little tiny bit, but that's more specifically in a kin stretch class. And that will actually vary between kin stretch instructors with PRI. So obviously this is uh, like, there's no other way of saying it, but other than this is the brainchild of Ron Horesco, who looks at the entire human body top to bottom and ultimately what the brain in and of itself and the autonomic nervous system are trying to sense and do to get through life, to oscillate through life, right? To be able to go from sympathetic to parasympathetic, right to left, flexion, extension, you know, to be able to, to experience all phases of, of life. DNS, their approach is for the most part, it's a combination of IAP and developmental kinesiology. So prior to DNS, those were kind of two separate topics of discussion. But in developmental kinesiology, and this is the spiel I give to my patients, is that male, female, black, white, rich, poor, gay, straight, whatever, all humans have to go through these developmental milestones, right? And so it can be deducted from that that these, these movement patterns, these, these milestones, are actually hardwired into our system, right? Because we spend the first four to five months of our lives either on our backs or on our stomachs to really train the sagittal plane. And then after that, we start turning, right? To start developing some oblique slings, if you will. Um, and that obviously allows for uh, transverse plane motion. And we really don't train, quote unquote, the frontal plane in DNS, but rather the frontal plane is a plane of transition, right? As you go from sagittal to transverse. And so within breathing and DNS, they want to be able to have an individual tease out and train the respiratory versus the postural functions of the diaphragm. And so by training the and biasing their work on the postural aspect of the diaphragm and putting people in these developmental positions, the DNS practitioner is able to see where and how the person breaks down versus how they should be sustaining and or transitioning from one position to another, right? And so, so really from a training standpoint, right? You can think of it as FRC is a lot of, a ton of open kinetic chain stuff in their bias, training the end ranges because you don't want to be inadequate at those end ranges because that's typically where people get hurt. Mm -hmm. DNS is a ton of closed kinetic chain activity while making sure IAP intra-abdominal pressure is optimized because you know, if you, if you follow and believe in the proximal stability before distal mobility mindset, IAP and proximal stability is a feed forward mechanism. So they want you to be able to proximal stability adequately before you do any other movement. And then with PRI, it's positional, it's repositioning, it's finding reference centers, it's sensing, it's getting your rib cage to expand, it's being able to shift from side to side. And so, you know, PRI is, as you know, it, Alina, its own world, right? But yeah. Those are how magically I've come across to be like, okay, none of these approaches are right or wrong. And actually they complement each other very well. Yeah, I'd say they almost need each other. They almost do. I mean, I've seen people who, you know, only use one approach and no one in the history of the world could possibly be that smart to have it figured out and packaged in one single approach. And so really it's like, okay, in this scenario, like I need a hammer in this scenario, I need a saw and in this scenario, I need a screwdriver. So let's, let's use the appropriate tool. 
that's um really cool that you're able to mesh all of them and i think that what you just said was very interesting about not going down kind of one lane and looking at each one and then putting them together and i think for a new clinician that's something one is very difficult to do but also something that you should strive to do try and educate yourself on other methodologies and then bring them together to help your patient or your client as much as you can. Right. And so there was a period there where, you know, I was studying DNS for quite a bit and I was getting my, my DNS reps in, but I would run into, I would run into, I would run into brick walls. If you will, I would get stuck in some places. And so it was one of those things, you know, looking through just that lens, I tried my best to work through them and then pulling upon some of the other things I had learned prior to starting all that, right? All the stuff in the early parts of my career, you know, you're, you're doing your best to try to piece it together. And so then you take that and, and, you know, then when I started, you know, really diving deep into FRS, it was like, okay, they, they cover a lot of these things, but I still somehow some way prefer DNS for these certain applications. And, you know, and then you just, you kind of get, you know, if your DNS game's up here, as your FRS game comes up, now you have those tool. And then in the background for me, you know, my, my PRI journey is about three and a half years deep, but really my first year I had only, I took myokin and I didn't take my second course until a year later. And so that first year that I took it, I mean, I mean, I really wasn't doing PRI, right? It was like, I took one course and like, I mean, I ate shit so many times because you're, you just don't know, right? It's really hard actually as a like doing it with people like now I feel like I barely have scratched any little bit of the surface right taken respiration and myokin and I've learned from a lot of mentors that do it but there's so much more to learn not just with PRI with a lot of different modalities right PRI is a whole rabbit hole in itself but it all these modalities you see a lot of change in people and you can see it in your with your Instagram posts you post like before and afters, you do a lot of that. And I appreciate when you do that because I can learn from what you're saying in the post and you can see it. So right. you, you do so many different things on your posts. I mean, you posted something about airflow recently into like a chest wall, but you, you could see the insane difference. I don't know. Yeah. Talk about some, maybe one of the patients you've had and what you've done to make a really big change in them something unique oh something unique <laughs> let me think i mean let's just go to yesterday i feel like you have a lot of unique cases so it might be hard to pick one <laughs> you know i i have a lot of fun stuff i mean i mean so for example i'll actually discuss my last case of the day that i actually posted on my story yesterday so this was a gentleman who came to me and he's a very successful he has a very big brand clothing brand very successful young man He's like 29, 30. Okay. This guy comes in, he does he literally does no physical activity because he's on his he's on his ass. He's sitting at a desk chair 14 hours a day doing design work, doing marketing, doing business talks, right? He's just super busy. And so he came in and he was complaining about, you know, having low back pain. It's like, well, is anyone really surprised here? Right. But you know, I basically told him, like, hey, you know, like. Like we need to, uh, we, we need to get you moving. And so based on his persona, 
I gave them the three PR activity or two PR activities, one FRC activity that I said, look, like these activities are all so easy, right? They're so easy to do. They're not hard. You can't mess these up. And so if this person comes in and on visit two, it tells me he didn't do them, then I'm like, okay, I need to figure out how I can get more buy-in from him. But he came in yesterday, did everything, had the buy-in on that end. He tested out great, but he told me, he's like, hey, you know, I'm sleeping a lot better, but sitting is still bad. And I'm like, well, I can take the healthiest person in the world, have them sit at a desk for 14 hours. That's not going to be good for them, right? So yesterday's session was super fun because we only needed to do left side lying, right glute max once, one set. We needed to do right side lying, left adductor pullback once. We had to do that modified pigeon once. And he went from 15-15 in, in his uh, right hip and 15-30 in the other hip. Boom, he's like almost 45s in all of them, right? Wow. And so, you know, by the time we were done through this, we still had 30 minutes left. And so I was like, look, we can go through these activities again, but I think these are things you're going to do at home. So I said, here. So I said, I, wanna, I, want, I want his body to experience what it feels like to actually go through some decent fun training, right? And so if you read my story, I took him through some external rotation. It's like a standing supported external rotation pigeon. It's like a kinetic stretch. It's a, it's a, it's a kin stretch, kinetic stretch. I, I just had him do a few sets of those on each side and he loved the way he felt with those because he could just feel everything just kind of, if you will, waking up, right? Being able to sense his body. Then we, I actually showed him, hey, look, like you have all this new range now in your hip external rotation, but you never used it. So this is an FRS concept. I'm like, okay, look, I can take you to, to 45 degrees and seated, but when I actually had him in sideline and I took his hip into external rotation, he got to like 60. And I said, okay, you can get to 60 in sideline, show me what you can get on your own without compensating. And he just went Meh, up to like 20 degrees, right? And so basically I then had him play with what they call an FRC positional isometrics. You know, he can only get to 20. Uh, I take him up to 30, had him, you know, die there for a while and, you know, <laughs> played around there. And then at the end, I mean, you know, by the time the session was done, he felt so money is like, I actually like feel like I want to work out now. I mean, and this is a guy who doesn't do anything, right? So just to reintroduce the idea of movement as something his body needs, not just for me, like spewing at him, like, you know, lecturing him about it, but to be like, hey, you do this. This is how good your body can feel. And so, so that, was, that was my last case of the day yesterday. And I thought that was fun to implement that cognitive angle for him. I feel like people don't even realize like, that exercise is actually going to make them function better mentally as well. Oh, of course. Like some, someone like that obviously is super driven, you know, mentally because he's so successful in his business, but right. yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So I'm just looking through your Instagram because <laughs> you do have, you have so many interesting things on there. So there's this picture of a patient. It's back from July and it's a picture of him lying supine and his ribs a picture of his ribs and his right side is like a lot more it looks like more flared on the right to me 
and more kind of internally rotated on the left. That's what it looks like to me. And I could be totally wrong, but it's from July 15th. We're going to post this picture in the show notes. Like we'll put yeah. a link so people can follow. I kind of so like this case. He's study. in supine hook lying. And the, literally all you say is, what do you think is going on? So I'd like to know what's going on. <laughs> Let's see. Okay. Super interesting looking. Because my ribs actually do something kind of similar to that. That's what sparked my interest. I see it. The July 6th one with the big angle? 15th. This one. Oh, okay. That one. Yes. Oh, I see the big angle. So that person. Okay. So interesting little factoid. That person was a men's health cover model. God. So we can have the audience, you know, go out and try to match that up. <laughs> but his <It's> not... <laughs> issue, so his issue is that when he, this person is playing any racket sports, mm-hmm. he cannot turn over. So as he goes to turn, it hurts like the Dickens. And so in his case, he actually, believe it or not, as flared as those right ribs look, he cannot get air into that side, period. So through, you've taken respiration, Alina, so lat inhibition, yes. Intercostal inhibition, yes. Manual therapy to his right rib cage, yes. So those are all the things we've worked on. And underneath all of that, he has a QL issue on that right side because I mean, if you'll just imagine how stiff of a rib cage that is, and he cannot lateralize himself. You know that concept, Alina? Yeah, like, I think a lot of times on that right side, we kind of get crunched. Yeah, so he cannot abduct that thorax to the left. Yeah, you can even see it in this picture. Yeah. It looks crunched to me. Yeah, and so actually, it's really cool. Unfortunately, I didn't take any standing befores and afters of him but like on his last session you know I kind of tell him about like how important this stuff is and it's one of those things where like I can't get the greatest of reads on him at all times but he came in and he's like dude my ribs are so low now right and he's like it feels so much better so so that is a that's a fun one yeah that's that's really interesting do you find that most people crunched on that right side I mean I I found that but do you find that you know in PRI I think a lot of times we have like a little for me I've studied PRI a lot but we have a bias of when I go into an assessment I'm looking for certain things that I've kind of been told yes so to answer your question if in FRA the functional range assessment that they teach Mm -hmm. the lead instructor for that Michael Chivers shout out to Michael Chivers one of the brightest people I know you know, they talk about this thing about systems, system one versus system two thinking and these biases that we, that we have or might have. And so I go into it, I go into all of my assessments with no bias at all, but I do listen to the story. The story that they tell me is already going to give me suspects in my head. Then when I watch them stand, so this is something that I learned from Movement Links. Movement Links is, uh, is the brainchild of Claire Frank, who's an international DNS instructor, brilliant lady. The moment they walk into your clinic, so where my clinic is, there's a little window that I can see people walking down the stairs. So sometimes, you know, if my line of sight is right, I can, I can see my clients walking down the stairs and I'm already kind of seeing what's going on there. The way they sit down in my waiting area, the way they come into the back, 
I'm already trying to figure out how are they managing themselves? How are they managing the, the demands of gravity and everything else? I don't go into these assessments with any sort of bias, like what I see and what I feel are really what I see and what I feel. But you have to understand that patterns, patterning is a thing. Because if you look at the medical profession, what distinguishes a new MD from a, from a seasoned MD? Experience. Pattern recognition, mm -hmm. right? So, so whereas you know, the, the new physician might have a harder time saying, oh, this guy's in the early, you know, is on the early track to MI. Right. Yeah. You know, the experienced physician would be like, oh, these clusters, that's what it is, right? But you can't look for patterns if you don't know what they are. But also just because these patterns exist, you don't want to go into a strong bias. So what advice do you have for somebody who is struggling to differentiate their bias from just seeing what's right there in front of them? So you should probably re-examine the way you're phrasing your questions, interactions with your patients, but also reframe the way that you're asking yourself these same questions. So instead of, hey, can you feel this expand? That's a leading type question, right? You just want to say, hey, what do you feel? Right. That's yeah. great. You also posted something yesterday where you're, uh, and we'll, we'll link it in the show notes, your client was sitting in the waiting room with his hands in like, yes, triangle heart type shape. Yes. Can you talk about that? Because that I found very interesting. Yeah, so, um, so he did the exact same thing in standing, and he did the exact same thing while sitting in my waiting area. And so I asked him to walk, and his walk basically says he doesn't like his arms being out here. He wants to find himself in the middle of things. And so this is one of those things, I don't know if there's an exact science to it, but we know from like psychology that people who, you know, are engage in an interview like this versus being here, right? That's a, those are two completely different stories. But also, you know, if you look at, I had a patient once who was a, worked for the FBI, so I could, you know, talk to him and he would tell me about like how you know someone's lying and things of that sort. That's but then so also cool. I, had a, I had another patient who was a professional poker player and I asked him like what his edge was. And he basically said, look, like, there's this poker book on, on what are called tells, but he talked about how everyone references that book so much that he actually like, you know, did the counter to the book on tells. So a tell is like when you're playing poker, what your little things you do are telling about where your mindset might be. And so all, all these little things, right, are part of the story that the person in front of you is telling. Right. And so, of course, we can think of it in extreme cases. Right. So if, if you have we've all been there, we've have we've had the person who's come to us and they absolutely don't want to be there. You feel it in the, you feel it and see it in their body language. And then you have the people who are all amped up and ready to go. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, so those are obviously like you can't really miss those. But on that continuum, you know, there are more subtleties to pick out. Right. So any little thing you do is I'm going to look at it as, okay, does this mean anything? Right. Those, they're all clues. Yeah. I just love how you posted that because it showed something that, I mean, I'm a fairly newer 
I, I mean, I like to think I'm newer because I feel like we're always learning, always growing, but right. that's something I wouldn't pick up on. And so now, not like I'm seeing anybody in person, but when right. I am back to seeing people in person, I'm going to pick up on how they're sitting there waiting for right. me to start the session. And I think that's an interesting clue that you, most people wouldn't necessarily think about. Right. In the end, it all matters, right? So, you know, some things weigh more heavily than others, uh, but in the end, you know, we're, we're just trying to do the best we can with the information we have, right? If, if you, you know, really look at it from like a math standpoint, it's all just data. Yeah. Right? And if you can get more bits of data, you know, you're better off. The encounter will be better off for it. Yeah, you can serve that person better through, yeah. you know, interacting with them better. Because I feel like, there's still, so I currently, I'm actually starting PT school in January, but I work for a PT company right now. And I notice like a lot of the patients, I mean, I'm sure this is common everywhere because it's just kind of how our society is, but a lot of them expect the PT to fix them, you know, like their ortho tried to fix them or like, you know, other quote medical practitioners fix them. Whereas PTs should be, you know, you're a coach right? who are there to facilitate their growth and their like understanding of their own body which I think everyone should have an understanding of their body absolutely it's hard to convince people of that but what were you saying you look no, like you're... no I was just gonna say people pay more attention to the to the actual physical house they live in versus the actual body they live in right I know I'm like oh my god there's just it should be just a human thing right you know it... most people do their taxes because we're told to but Right. I just don't get why we have to be told to like understand our house, our literal house, you know, but well, when we get rid of, uh, you know, I'm curious because my oldest son uh, just started first grade and what will be really interesting to see over the years, what his physical activity level is going to be on a, on a school administered side, because yeah. he's a very active kid. And, uh, you know, if he doesn't get out and do things, it's kind of like a dog. If you have a dog and you go take that dog out for a walk, they go nuts, right? Yeah. And so somehow, some way, humans, maybe it's the different levels of cognition we have, but we learn to suppress that. And I think mm -hmm. we're, uh, we're much worse off for it. So, but it starts from a very early age. My kid last year, when school was around, was in kindergarten. And, you know, all the kids in kindergarten were young beautiful, healthy little kids. A few years ago, I did a career day talk over at a school and I was working with some, with a bunch of seventh graders. I think that's about what, 11, 12. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And to see how many of those kids raised their hand when I asked if they were in pain was appalling. Yeah. And then of course, you know, we already had some kids in that, in the seventh grade classroom who were already like, not just kind of heavy, but like really heavy. Yeah. That's really not a that's really not a great way to get started in life. I mean, you know, at that age, no. you're still, I mean, you're still a kid, right? Yeah. And you're setting yourself up for your 30 year old self. Right. You know, your body, like well, how your body is now, unless you, you know, had a contact injury in a sport or a car crash or something is a result of how you've treated it over the last several years. So I really think that working with the youth is Hopefully that could be what kind of turns everything around because we act like, you know, the obesity epidemic is something that we can solve with like a pill or like, you know, just plug it up with pharmaceuticals with all the symptoms. But obviously that's not working very well. So, yeah, 
yeah anyway that's a rabbit hole but it is a rabbit um, hole but it is important like what you're just saying about your kid being active and I feel like a lot of kids are very active at a very young age and then school suppresses it you have to sit in a chair all day long and at a desk and listen to a teacher not everybody learns that well like that I know for me personally I'm definitely now a huge learner and I love learning but I learn in my own way and I did what, what, I don't know, 15, 20 years of school to figure out how to learn the way that I want to learn, which is hands-on and watching and using my senses to figure it out. So, you know, everybody learns differently and the same way everyone's movements, uh, you know, are different and based on our experience, psychologically, we're all different. So I think taking that into account is important when assessing people and maybe our culture can take it, (laughs) our society can think about it too when- with all this different type of schooling we're doing now, I don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But well, it'll be an opportunity, maybe. Well, what higher education is going to look like is, you know, obviously my wife and I, we put money away for our kids' college funds. But it's one of those things, you know, where even as of like three years ago when we were, when we were starting that, I was like, college is even going to be around by the time mm-hmm. they're old enough? Yeah. Right? Google's going to have everybody do six-month certificates. Right, right. <laughs> Oh my God. I don't know. I mean, apprenticeships are, that might be more useful than four years of twiddling your thumbs, figuring it out. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. So So, I want to ask you what you're reading. I want to know what you're reading and, or it doesn't have to be what you're reading currently. Something that you've read in this year or last year that you think will impact me. Selfishly, I literally want to know so I can read something good later. Yeah. Oh, oh, I mean, the, the one book that, you know, made it to everybody's list within the past, you know, year has been Atomic Habits. Yeah, I read it. So good. So good. I mean, it's just one of those things where if you get all the things in Atomic Habits lined up, yes. right, it's like you are almost putting yourself on autopilot to where it is you want to be. Correct. Yeah. That, that's a really great book. Yeah. That's a fantastic book. Gosh. I think from a few years back, maybe like two and a half years ago, I read the Checklist Manifesto, okay. which basically tells you if you're going to do this in a work or self, you know, through your own processes, right? If you can make your processes better, then of course you're going to have better outcomes. And the Checklist Manifesto talks about like what makes for a good checklist versus a bad one. It was pretty interesting to read about that little thing because like, you know, cause I, I reconciled it against like the checklists that I was using and I was like, oh, <laughs> I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> right? Live and you learn. <laughs> All right. I'm going to check that one out. Atomic Habits I've heard of, but I've never heard of the Good. checklist manifesto. Cool. Okay. So last question. We ask all of our guests this question. What is something that you do every day to either move your brain, move your body or both? So every single day, I still do my cars through the FRC world, right? I mean, I really like it because it's just a real quick and easy way for me to check in with my body. So like, okay, where am I at? And is anything going to fall off on me? (laughs) But really, um, every single day, you know, this is part of my actual mental makeup. I'm in clinic now three days a week. But every single day, I always revisit my current toughest cases. Because it's one of those things where if you don't ever, you know, like I'll touch on it with my conscious mind every single day, but it's one of those things where I'm keeping my 
subconscious thinking about it in the background. And so as a result of this practice, I'll be in the most random scenarios and I have something pop up in my head regarding the patient or scenario. Like I run into scenarios like, okay, so, so for example, one of the things that, that can be seen, I posted on this last week in that little black and white picture of the knee that anatomy links had posted. But um, I talked about the mismatch between a femur and a tibia. In PRI's impingement and instability course, they talk about what the ramifications can be when you have that particular mismatch. Both are externally rotated, both are internally rotated, one's internally rotated, you know, so on and so forth. But really from an FRC standpoint, going back to that, you know, that's been a big problem with respect to, in their lens, a tibia should be able to internally rotate to the same degree that it externally rotates. And so more often than not, you'll find a person who can externally rotate that tibia relative to their femur. And some people can internally rotate it some, but you know, there's some people that cannot internally rotate it at all. And so when you see them stand, that femur will be neutral, quote unquote neutral, or it'll be relatively internally rotated and you've got this uh, tibia underneath it that can externally rotate, but has no idea whatsoever as to how to internally rotate. So that had been my newest thing for a while, right? So Alina, if you've worked with Beth, um, I don't know if she's ever texted you or messaged you. She, she always likes to say, my newest obsession, my latest obsession, right? Says it out loud. <laughs> And so uh, it's really funny, but like in that same regard, like I have these obsessions that go through my head. I'm like, okay, this is the problem. How might I go about solving it? Awesome. Yeah. That's so great. Where can people find you? What is your Instagram? And if somebody wants to do a session with you, how can they do that? Okay. So as it stands right now, I'm funneling everything through my Instagram, which is Dr. Loke Rao, L-O-C-R-A-O. In my bio on my Instagram account, there's a link that goes to my scheduler, my mm-hmm. scheduling system. I don't have a website yet. I'm kind of building a bunch of things in the background for like, you know, the massive launch that at this point will never happen. <laughs> but really that's where people can find me most readily. Awesome. Cool. Perfect. Thank you thank so much. You. Thank you. This was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this and uh, have a great uh, rest of your week, ladies. Thank you. You too. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Move Your Brain, Move Your Body podcast. Join in every week as we release new episodes. Subscribe or leave us a rating at Apple Podcasts. If you have questions or topics to cover, please email moveyourbb at gmail.com or follow us on Instagram at moveyourbb.com.